0: Welcome back to our next edition of the CBB Review Studio Podcast. I am Dan Siegel, joined as always by my co-host, Ben Anderson. Today, we are also joined by our own Matt Majinski, also, like I said, from CBB Review. And we are going to recap this first weekend in March Madness. We are also going to give a little bit of a preview to the second weekend, the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8. And my first question to you, we're going to go region by region. But before we even get to that, I'll start with you, Ben, then I'll go to you, Matt. Just overall, broad, general takeaways from this first weekend, this round of 64 and round of 32 in March Madness.
1: So I think this is actually my ideal March Madness, where you don't have a ton of upsets, but the upsets that you do have are massive. So -hmm. that you still get the, the Titans clashing in the final four and whatnot, where you get you want to see Alabama and Houston play again. You want to see UConn in the final four. You want to see teams of that caliber, but you also get to see the Fairleigh Dickinsons and the Princeton's of the world uh, make their mark as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Just a lot of quality upsets,
0: not a lot of quantity. There's only one double digit seed in the sweet 16. It's a
2: 15 seed. What about you, Matt? Yeah. I, I think Ben said it perfectly. There is, you know, you have, The cool upsets, like the 16 over a one, which I think is going to happen more frequently, but it's still been five years since the last time that happened. You got the 15 seed in the Sweet 16 for the third straight year. So you got your your fill of upsets if you want that. But if you're like me and you still want to see the best teams playing the best teams, that's still there. And I think it's also cool because you don't have like the Blue Bloods. You still do have Gonzaga. I think UConn, you know, these aren't traditional Blue Bloods, but they're programs that have been there over and over again. But uh, it just seems like this is going to be a year where, especially with the Final Four, maybe even a champion, it could be a team that's never won the championship before. Um, so there's a little bit of everything for what you want to see in college basketball. And I think it was the last five or six. I'm not sure the exact stat. I could
0: easily look back. But the last several champions have been one seats. There's only two remaining. So mm-hmm. that that could change. That obviously could very possibly not changed. Another storyline. This is the year of the SEC and the Big East. Just as last year, I feel like was the year of the ACC. And the ACC had, they have just one team left that does extend their active Sweet 16 streak to 53, by far the longest ever. But each, the SEC and the Big East have three teams in the Sweet 16. The Big East, a 7 and 2 record in this tournament. So good showing for them. But you guys ready to start with the South region? Let's do it. Let's All right. So we start with the South here. And honestly, there's a lot to talk about here. I want to start here. Just we'll go top to bottom. Alabama honestly looks like they are on a different level right now. They beat Texas A&M Corpus Christi 96, 75. They beat Maryland 73 to 51. They're coming off of all double digit wins in the sec tournament and the the scariest part probably is that Brandon Miller had zero against Texas A&M Corpus Christi that they put up 96. Matt, you wrote this in your article, the options here for the Crimson Tide are absolutely endless.
2: Yeah, this has been something I've said since the beginning of the season is just if Alabama were to put it all together, they seem like one of the best teams on paper. We're seeing that play out in real time now. Um, and I think, Well, you're a one seed, you know, you kind of scratch off the 16 seed there. I know that sometimes some of these teams can pull off big upsets, but you could just tell that uh, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi was no match for Alabama. But Maryland, I thought, was a bit of a match. Um, I thought their guard play kind of let them down. It was a sloppy game. Uh, Julian Reese played, I think, pretty solid. I think he kind of held his own on the boards a little bit. Uh, The most he could do against an Alabama team that is really the top rebounding team in the country statistically – uh, and I just think you're seeing all of this stuff work out, but it doesn't mean that on one singular day anything could really happen. So they still got to be on guard.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you there, Matt. I think that what strikes me about Alabama is how deep they are. And usually we talk about March Madness in that people like to shorten their rotations. If you got a good seven guys, that's more important than having like an okay nine nine-man rotation, but they are just so talented all throughout. Like Noah Gurley is what, their 10th man, ninth man, 10th man, and he was really good at Furman when he was there. It's his second year in the program. I just really do like that that ability for Alabama to find someone to step up every single game, and I think that's what makes them so scary. When we're talking about San Diego State, though, um, what does concern me a little bit with the Aztecs for the Crimson Tide is that they are very good at defending the three-point line. Um, so that's something to watch as you know Alabama loves its shot quality whether it's at the rim or at from the three so that's something to look at as well.
0: Yeah um Furman, or I'm sorry San Diego State fourth in in defensive efficiency teams that have really good defenses have been the ones to be able to give Alabama threats that Tennessee game kind of comes to mind in there but'll we'll, we'll preview that in just a second but just moving just continuing with our recap portion of this first weekend and unfortunately for me and Ben we are going to have to talk about this but Furman and Virginia probably objectively I guess the most exciting in terms of endings for first round and second round games because I think we had a lot of exciting gameplay in this first and second round what was notably absent were crazy buzzer beaters and crazy last 10 seconds I think this Furman-Virginia game was the one thing that did deliver, so what what are we making of this?
1: Well, as a current UVA student, that was that was a bit of a rough patch for me. I was watching that in class with all my classmates and just to see that that pass that P.A. Clark made. What what a way to bookend your career starting off in the Final Four with the pass to D.K.T. or uh, the Elite Eight with the pass to D.K.T. to go to the Final Four and then ending it with whatever, you know, that was give credit to Furman. They did make adjustments to, to make UVA uncomfortable. We all sort of knew that this wasn't the most talented Virginia team that Tony Bennett has ever had, but I also, I also thought that they would have the opportunity to beat a team like Furman. They weren't super, the Paladins aren't super big. Um, so I, I would hope Caden Shedrick and maybe even Jaden Gardner would have a little bit more presence in the paint, but it wasn't meant to be. And, you know, you still trade one natty for three first round exits in a 100 out 100 times but it's a little bit disappointing.
2: yeah I um I was on I was in Chicago for the weekend first couple of rounds I was on the train uh headed in to the city while this game was going on and, and my friends and I erupted when the shot happened obviously you know we didn't care who won just a cool ending and uh like you mentioned Dan lack of buzzer beaters this kind of made up for the lack of buzzer beaters. This was like three buzzer beaters in one, the way how how crazy this game ended. Uh, But I just have to say that I'm a little bit disappointed because for a moment like that, we got looked at as if we were the weird ones on the train. Well, why isn't anyone else watching these games? That's what I want to know. That happened multiple times throughout our trip too. Uh, One of them literally was in a restaurant when Fairleigh Dickinson pulled off the upset over for Purdue. We go crazy. Everyone else looks at us like we have two heads and – Um, that's my biggest takeaway is more people need to get more excited about this, even if you're not a college basketball fan, because that was great. Honestly,
0: disappointing because I, among college basketball fans, that Fairleigh Dickinson storyline, by the way, we had an emergency podcast about this, so we're not going to go too much into depth about it again. But I I don't know, among like the the casual sports, non-diehard college basketball crowd, I didn't see enough Fairly Dickinson love. I, I totally agree with that. but um, And especially myself, living in the New Jersey area. right? But um, what do you want to get to as well? Princeton, 15 seed in the Sweet 16. That seems even normal at this point, which is <laughs> crazy to say because it's happened just one time before this big stretch of 15 seeds in the Sweet 16. But Princeton – First off, upsetting Arizona, which both teams just shot really poorly in that game, and Arizona looked flat, and then all of a sudden at the end of the game, they refused to go to their best player and to Bellis, who had 22 points total, but they didn't go to him down the stretch, which was really weird. And then they turned the lights off on a little bit against Missouri, shoot 36.4% from three, and exploit Missouri's poor defense, also out-rebounding. Missouri and on the offensive end, Ryan Langborg, the big storyline 22 points. And like I said, it's we got Ben and I, we have to stop just skipping over, breezing over these 215 matchups like we did. All four of the 215 matchups we spent about 30 seconds or less
1: talking about in our regional previews. We have to stop doing that. Well, you know what's crazy, Dan, is that I really didn't love any of the 2 the two fifteen matchups. Like, if you're looking at that on paper, there's no reason Arizona should have lost to Princeton. Uh, just based on the fact that you have a seven-footer, even forget Tubellas for now. You have Umar Balu, who has gone for 30 points in the game before. He did that against very high-level competition in the beginning of the season, and now we believe. right? So why don't you just throw him the ball? Like, to, to a lesser extent, it's the, it's the Zach Eadie conundrum, right, that Fairly Dickinson had. But give credit to Princeton. Mitch Henderson, their coach, really did a fantastic job of game planning against the Wildcats, and I think it really showed, especially in the last few minutes, where they just couldn't get a bucket, the Wildcats couldn't. Um, so the Tigers, super impressive for them to move on. And then Missouri, you are always going to know that the Tigers, uh, the Missouri Tigers, that is, were either going to be super hot or super cold, and I think this was probably the perfect example of how this tournament probably was gonna go in the minds of many Missouri fans. But, uh, you know, i really happy to see Princeton in the Sweet 16. They're a quality team, like the Ivy League's a pretty good league. I don't think we had talked about that enough, but they're, I believe, what 11th now in the conference ratings in Torbig. Princeton is the top 100 team in Torbig, like, this is not some slouch. Uh, slouch of a team. So I want to give them credit. And I think that matchup with Creighton is going to be pretty interesting.
2: Yeah. I like what you said at the end there, Ben, I feel like sometimes the power conference is up here and people look at the mid majors, like down here, especially the Ivy league. I feel like the gap is a lot more like this. Like it's not like this major gap it might've used to be that way, but um it, it's definitely closed in, especially a program like Princeton, which has a storied history, um, which is, seems like they always are kind of at the top of the Ivy League, whether they win it or not. Um, and against a team like Arizona, you know, they, they they were the lower seed. They kind of made the Wildcats nervous, and then Princeton capitalized that in the final stretches. And then against Missouri, you kind of said, okay, this Tigers team is for real. This is, isn't a team just skating by again. I mean, they handled the other Tigers for the entire game. I do want to say, though, for how great their run has been, I almost think the upsetting Creighton would be bigger than upsetting Arizona, just because of how big, how great the Blue Jays are playing at this point. Uh, Creighton knows what they're getting into with Princeton. They're not going to overlook them. And just the amount of scoring that Creighton is capable of doing and defense this year, if the Tigers upset them, it might even be bigger than St. Peter's run last year. I don't I don't want to compare it because I know we're talking about two 15 seeds from New Jersey, and St. <laughs> Peter's beat some pretty big teams. But – um it's getting to be that way.
0: Yeah. But for that reason, though, if we transition into our final four picks, who goes to the final four? And we did this a little bit in our regional previews, but we have a much clearer picture now. I'm I'm sticking with Creighton. I think they go over Alabama. It's it's hard to outscore Alabama in a shootout. Gonzaga did do that early in the season, but that was early in the season. You gotta be tough defensively, and I think San Diego State has that, but Creighton has that, and they're also more well-rounded. They have, you know, their big Brenner, and then they have a lot of shooting and Nemhard, who had, however many points in the second-round game. So, I think Creighton makes it to the final four in this region.
1: What about you, Matt?
2: I got um, I do think it's going to be Creighton versus Alabama, and I don't think it's a chalky pick like that. I think San Diego State will play them tough. I originally had Creighton over Arizona in my bracket, switched it to Arizona on the last day, and I feel really dumb for doing that. Um, and I have Alabama in my final four right now, but I'm, I'm tempted to say Creighton just because, I mean, that game against Baylor, they look just as dominant as Alabama in a weird way. I think it's going to be a great game, and, and I got to ride in my Big East.
1: I, I can't believe you guys are disrespecting the number one overall seed who has done nothing but look phenomenal this entire tournament and frankly for the past month or so anyways alabama I, is clearly the best team in the in this uh region at their peak in my opinion because we've seen Creighton at their peak i don't think we've seen alabama at their peak in the tournament so far so for that reason i'm sticking with my pick. I had the crimson tide in the final four originally i'll stick with them now
0: well i'm glad somebody did but I think either way that, that could be game of the tournament right there. Elite eight Alabama versus Creighton, but we move on to our second of the four regions. We're previewing or previewing the, the second weekend and recapping the first weekend and the East region. We we talked a lot about fairly Dickinson on that emergency episode. I didn't really get Matt's take on it. So Matt, I'll, I'll let you go very quickly, but more. So I wanted to talk about that second round matchup and the game against FAU because, I think it contrasted a lot with that UMBC-Kansas State game, which was that first time a 16-1, to and then they played the eight or the nine Kansas State, and it was some of the worst basketball I've ever seen.
2: Fairly Dickinson and FAU both looked really good, didn't they, Matt? They did. Um, Yeah, to touch on the the 16-1 upset, I know I just did previously too. I mean, just commendable something I think we are going to get used to seeing a little bit more often, but when it happens, especially against a seven foot center, um, it's still something that you need to just give kind of like a round of applause to. And, and they had more heart and that's what won them the game. Um, And their skill was obviously something that people uh, maybe didn't look at enough. And I think these low majors, uh, like I said, previously need to get more attention um, than they have been getting the game against FAU though this was probably one of the first games ever where I felt like both teams were kind of like the underdog in this game. Um, FAU, a team that you still, even after beating Memphis, I don't think you had the feeling that you know what this team's all about because it's a nine seed beating an eight that's also not from a power conference. And then they go on to play a 16 seed that just beat the team in Purdue who was you know ranked number one in the AP poll for seven different weeks this season. So FDU all of a sudden feels like they're the favorite. They're like who everyone wants to keep advancing. And FAU is able to beat them and close them out. Um, I think the skill showed through at the end. John L. Davis is someone that Tennessee needs to watch out for, especially with Zakai Ziegler out of this tournament. Although Tennessee has gone on a really good run, especially with the win over Duke, I think that's uh, previewing that next game. That could be the difference. Davis is going to be tough to stop. And I think we're going to get a good taste of – what this FAU team is really capable of.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned John L. Davis. If you didn't see the stat before, he's the first player in NCAA tournament history to have a 25-10, 5-5 game, which is incredible, um, even against a 16 seed. And Dan and I touched on this a little bit in the uh, emergency podcast, but this was good basketball. Like, this was not the UMBC Kansas State game from 2018. And I, I really appreciated just being able to watch that and not feeling like disappointed either way. Because if they are the Dickinson one, that's amazing. First, first 16 seed to a sweet 16 ever. Um, and just the way they did it is fantastic. But I do believe that Florida Atlantic has a better shot to beat Tennessee. So I was happy to see that as well. Because I think that's going to be super interesting if the, the Owls, like no one's talking about Florida Atlantic as a basketball power. This has never been this has never happened before. Almost in the same way that a sixteen seed has never been to the Sweet Sixteen. So really um, you couldn't go wrong there. Davis had a great game. Demetri Roberts, shout out to him, and He was fantastic yeah. uh, throughout the game, even though he missed that wide open layup. So it felt so bad for him, man, at the end of that game there. He some of his he's one of the quickest guards you've ever seen. Um really, really fun to watch overall.
0: Yeah, Demetri Roberts, four-year Division II player, played his fifth year in Division I. That just goes to show that there are Hoopers at every level. And we move on to Tennessee and Duke. This was a matchup I wanted to touch on a little bit because Tennessee got past them. I think a lot of the world thought that Duke would be the team out of that pod to go to the Sweet 16. Do you think maybe we overestimated Duke a little bit? Because they were really hot, but they were – not a fantastic Duke team compared to other Duke teams. Although to be fair, if you told me that Tennessee was going to beat Duke, I think this is the exact way they I would have expected it elite defense. And then just like enough offense. I think they went nine of 21 from three. That's pretty good. So what are we
2: making of this? Any takeaways from that Duke Tennessee matchup? Either of you want to go here. I'll take this. Um, I think that it's a game where I was kind of surprised for Duke with an experienced guard in Jeremy Roach that he couldn't really take over the game. I mean, he had a bunch of turnovers in this game. Um, and I kind of looked to Duke as a team who everyone's talking about pre tournament. They're the hottest team in the country against an Oral Roberts team that people thought might give them trouble. Duke just blew him out of the water. I mean, it was one of the most dominant performances of the first round. And then Duke looked like they were lost at times against Tennessee. I mean, scoring did not come easy. Uh, Defending in the closing maybe 10 minutes of that second half also did not come easy. And even without their star point guard, Tennessee looked like the better team for most of that game. Um, I think maybe Duke's – I don't want to say the lack of coaching because I think John Sire is a great coach. But I just think sometimes – you forget that it's his first year. Not everyone's going to be Hubert Davis and pull off, uh, you know, a championship run in year one as a head coach. And John Shire just – he's learning about what it what it takes in March Madness as a head coach. And, unfortunately, he got matched up with Rick Barnes, a guy that uh, has been in plenty of March Madnesses, has won close to 800 games. And I think coaching is really what paid off in the end there for the Vols. Yeah, I like that take. I think that – not to be like all revisionist history here – but
1: the reason I picked Duke to the, the Elite Eight was less because I liked Duke and more because I didn't like Tennessee and Purdue. So in that sense, that Tennessee was the one that proved me wrong, not Duke. Um, so I'm really happy to see the volunteers. Rick Barnes finally getting that monkey off his back and getting back to the Sweet 16. That's huge for him. That's huge for the program as well, especially without the Zakai Ziegler, like we mentioned. He's so important to that team. They still have a ton of bruisers inside. They just seem like an unfun team to play. I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, So I think that really Tennessee showed what they are capable of. It'll be a really interesting matchup, as we mentioned before, with Florida Atlantic.
0: And then the last thing before we get to our predictions that I wanted to touch on was Michigan State. I feel like it's so weird because as not just us at CBB Review, but basically the entire world of college basketball creators just didn't talk about Michigan State. That much, and it was because they're a very they're a very, team with a lot of history, but they weren't bad enough to be talked about. And they weren't good enough to be talked about. But here they are, Tom Izzo, now in another Sweet 16. He's climbing up the leaderboard in terms of number of Sweet 16s. And you got we posted that bracket out or that uh that graphic out in our CBB review page. Michigan State's well up there, but yeah, I mean they they knock off Marquette. A little bit disappointing for me, who had Marquette in my championship, in my bracket, kind of tough when the Big East player of the year gets into foul trouble, plays only 28 minutes, scores just seven points. But, yeah, the the Izzo-March storyline, everybody loves to talk about Izzo in March, and it continues, another Sweet 16
2: for Michigan State. I feel like I fell into a trap with Marquette because at the beginning of the season I was not big on Marquette. I don't think many people were, to be fair. As the year grew on, I still didn't buy into it because I kind of was focused on my preseason thoughts on this is an unproven team. They lost a lot of their guys from last year. I think they're just winning games, and they're not as good as, as their record looks like. As the year grew on even more, I kind of was forced into believing that this Marquette team is actually good because they kept beating teams in a really good conference. They win the the regular season and the conference championship for, for the biggest tournament. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know what, Marquette's a good team. I don't think they're a bad team for losing to a seven seed. But I do think that I kind of ended up being right about Marquette. And to go off of that, Shaka's smart now. I mean, he's got that Final Four run with VCU. But you're talking about a coach who in two years has kind of revitalized his career after what happened at Texas, which was not really a dumpster fire, but it was pretty close because of what I think they expected out of him. Uh, Marquette's, you know, doing great with him, but all of a sudden he cannot win in the tournament when it matters. Tom Izzo can, and Michigan State is an underrated team, even against a Kansas State team that's very, very good. That's going to be, like you mentioned in the previous region uh, with Alabama and Creighton, if they end up playing, I think this Michigan State-Kansas State game could be another um, great game to watch in the Sweet 16.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you've been listening to the podcast so far, you know Dan and I were super high on Marquette. I thought it was the clear pick to come out of this region, um, and unfortunately, it didn't go that way. I really didn't give Michigan State enough credit, in my opinion, um, just for what Tom Ozo is capable of more than anything else. In March, they didn't really look like a great team the entire year. They were hanging around the 30s, probably, for for most of their time in the 2022-23 season. But you never doubt Izzo, especially as a seven seed. Virginia fans know that know that all too well, I would say. Um, but in defense of Shaka Smart, no one thought he would have a tournament caliber team to begin with. And to have a two seed this year is still an overachievement regardless of the fact that he lost to one of the best March coaches of all time. And that's sort of where I'm at with Shaka Smart. And I mean, the Golden Eagles next year, I mean, if everyone comes back, that's a scary team right there. I'm really interested to see what that looks like. But yeah, disappointing end for Marquette. Still a great season overall.
0: All right, so prediction time. I'm going. I think FAU gets past Tennessee. FAU is not the team that's going to jack up a bunch of threes, and those are the teams that Tennessee tends to shut down. Florida Atlantic is also very deep. I think their seven foot one, Vlaslav Golden, has to get going. Because he'll have the size advantage, but in the postseason, he's been really just a, a role player, hasn't played a lot of minutes, hasn't produced too much. So I think that'll be key. But more importantly, look, Tennessee has made it this far. Ben and I have both said we were not big fans of Tennessee this year. And just given their track record, teams like that don't tend to advance too much in March. There are exceptions, but I plugged it into the – this tool on torvik.com which is you could see the most similar profiles to 2023 tennessee and how the teams did and on average teams liked 2023 tennessee with elite elite defense and mediocre offense they averaged 1.8 wins in march so tennessee has already surpassed that they have two but there is an exception texas tech in 2019 was a very similar team and they made it to the finals but Overall, I'm not, I don't like this Tennessee team. So I think FAU gets past them, but I think overall Kansas State is the one that triumphs and gets to the final four.
2: I, uh, I agree with you with that pick. So I'll be quick. Um, I just think that Tennessee for me, um, or you went with FAU, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with the Kansas State pick. I do have Tennessee beating FAU in that, um, in that game. I will say, I think that's going to be a close game. I don't think they're just going to roll by FAU. I think we know now that the Owls. Um, while I still need to see a little bit more of them now against a Power Conference team. I think we know that they're going to keep this game close. This isn't a team that's going to get blown out. They have they have 34 wins for a reason. Um, but I do think Tennessee is the more talented team. I think that Marquise Noel and and Keontae Johnson are the difference in the rest of this region. I just think that that tandem is the best tandem, and they're an elite tandem. It's not just that they're the best duo in this bracket. I think that they're one of the best duos left in the tournament. And I think that, that that's going to propel them past Michigan state and ultimately um, past Tennessee in my prediction. So I have Kansas state moving on to the final four.
1: Fair enough. I, I will disagree with both of you again, actually, I do think the, the winner of Kansas state, Michigan state is going to the final four. That's I'm of the opinion that that's the stronger half pretty clearly, Of the bracket i do have tennessee over florida atlantic i just don't think the owls have seen anything like tennessee's defense and that's what i that's what worries me about that game for florida atlantic on the other hand though i I like michigan state being kansas state we talked about coaching earlier at the top of the bracket and i do think while Jerome tank's done a fantastic job in his first season i do think he should be coach of the year in my opinion um nationally i think tom Izzo just has so much more experience and he's been to the final four before he's team basically all there is to see. So I do like the Spartans getting out of this bracket.
0: All right. Fair enough. The last several final fours, I think eight of the last nine or I think that's the stat I saw has had seven seeds or worse in the final four. So that would continue the trend with Michigan state potentially, but let's move on to the Midwest region here and storyline for this one. I don't, I don't have much, Compared to the other two, I did want to talk about Houston a little bit, and we could kind of tie this into our predictions moving forward because Houston's game against Northern Kentucky was super, super interesting because we we talked about the shot quality score, which is what should have happened on an average night based on the shots both teams took and who took them. And based on that, there should have been two 16-over-1 upsets. This was a similar game to UMBC-Virginia except Northern Kentucky happened to shoot five of 33 from three point. They happened to be really cold. And then, so Houston comes off of that. I was very much doubting them. Then they beat Auburn pretty handily 81 to 64, but now I could go by the assumption that, well, I didn't really like Auburn in the first place very much. Am I just like talking myself out of Houston? Like, is, is there a legitimate reason for me to doubt this Houston team? And I don't know, I, I a little bit of a
1: spoiler, I'm very much leaning Miami right now to beat them. What, what do you guys think? No, Dan, I, I think you're right. We were texting about this throughout the, the first two rounds. Even that Auburn game, Auburn was up by 10 at, at halftime over Houston. And if they had made more than what, it was like 58% of their free throws or something, we're talking about a completely different game going down the final stretch where Houston eventually pulled away because Sasser and Shedd were both in foul trouble there they houston the cougars haven't had the most uh enthusiastic start to this tournament um and while they got away with it Miami's a different beast and that's something i'm really interested in watching as we move forward
2: it's funny because i feel like to tie it all there together Both Houston and Miami struggled against worse seeds, although Miami's is a little bit more acceptable given what we know about Drake, especially that conference, which is a very underrated conference. They both pull out the first round wins. Houston eases past Auburn. You feel a little bit better. They beat a power conference team, but Miami blew past Indiana an Indiana team with Trace Jackson Davis, Miller Cop, Race Thompson. I can go on and on a deep and elite Indiana team. Miami has no troubles with them. I'm feeling pretty smart right now because I did pick that. And uh I'll save the picks for later, but uh I do uh I do think that Houston is in for a lot with Miami. I don't know if they've seen. They've played some good teams, but especially the way Miami's playing right now, it's gonna be their toughest team on on paper um, pretty much of the season.
0: Yeah. Is there anything to talk about on that bottom half of this Midwest region? Personally, I've got nothing, but if you guys want to bring up anything.
2: Uh, I'll say something real quick. I mean, I am a little bit surprised that Xavier was able to get past Pittsburgh just the way they did. I mean, time and time again now, they I should almost just remove the vocabulary from my brain that Xavier is not going to be okay without Zach Fremantle because clearly that just doesn't matter. Um, I mean, they go and beat a Pittsburgh team that's playing hot, that, that already won – Two games in the tournament if you count the first four. I mean, clearly Xavier is is just okay to at least win some games without Zach Freeman. It'll definitely hurt their chances to go all the way. But um Musketeers prove me wrong.
0: Yeah, I actually I actually have uh Xavier going to the final four. I'm going to stick with that pick. I had that in the beginning. Both Ben and Ariel thought I was crazy. Now I'm looking a little bit better. And I said, I think. Look, losing a guy like uh, Fremantle is never going to not hurt. Like it's always going to have a big effect on the team. But I feel like Xavier, because of a, they've improved a little bit defensively. Fremantle wasn't the best defender. He's a great offensive player. And B, they just they have so much of a balanced scoring attack that if you take one guy out, they still have plenty of guys that could score the rock. I have a feeling you guys disagree with me. But I am actually going to have Xavier beating Texas. I'm actually going to have Miami beating Houston. And the reason, again, I like Miami so much is because they also last year they flustered everybody and they beat Auburn with their small lineup. This year, they have a lot of the same players. Isaiah Wong in particular. And they also have North Shadow Mir, great shot blocker and not your prototypical Miami player. So Miami over Houston, Xavier over Texas,
1: Xavier over Miami. I, I, I do have two quick tidbits that I want to get through before I move into my final picks. Uh first Drake, man, that was a rough way to lose that game. The final five minutes just did not go their way. And especially because the Hurricanes had zero timeouts during that span as well. I was watching that game. I couldn't believe that it just it it was it was like it was like watching the Titanic sink. It was it was a little bit rough there. And the other thing I will mention is just writing an ode to Penn State. I think this was a super successful season. Jalen Pickett should have been a first-team All-American in my mind. Um, he had a fantastic year. Shrewsbury proved why he is in the running for a ton of coaching jobs right now. Um, I really do think they had a good year, pushed Texas to the limit, even though the Longhorns shot like what, one for 13 or something from free from three like uh, or something like that. So I do want to mention them as well. They had a really good season overall. Now, if we're going to get to my picks, I do have an all Texas showdown. I think that Houston, while you have mentioned that Miami has been hot and I've mentioned that Houston has been cold, Houston has something that Miami does not, and that is Jairus Walker. I think Jairus Walker has been one of the most impressive players throughout this entire tournament, just the level of athleticism for a guy that big as a true freshman has been super impressive for me. Um, and I think he'll cause a lot of trouble along with a lot of other people in the the Cougar front court for Miami's lack, bi- lack of bigs. Um, and then on the other side, I like Texas to beat Xavier. I think that we saw what Texas looked like at its worst against Penn State offensively, and I think they'll bounce back from that pretty well. Xavier doesn't have a super strong defense, so I like that to happen. And then I'm going to stick with my pick from the preview and go with Texas over Houston.
2: I'm going to um, I'm gonna go, like I mentioned, this is like the bracket, part of the bracket that I felt like I actually did good with. I got three of these four teams correct. So I'm going to have to ride with what I had. And and that was Miami over Houston. I do still feel pretty good about that. North shadow mirror is, is rebounding the basketball as good as anyone in this tournament. And that's what you got to do. Part of what you got to do to beat Houston. There's a lot of things that got to go your way. Um, and we obviously know how, how this Miami team, uh, how good they can be capable of doing this. I mean, they got to the elite eight just last season with a lot of the same players. So it's a team that I think has that belief and that belief is warranted because of what they can accomplish. Um, it's a great coaching battle, too. Uh, that's that's a great coaching battle for the college basketball fans out there. Um, and then Xavier, Texas, I'll roll with Texas. That's what I had initially. I do think not having Fremantle will catch up with them at this point, especially because of uh, the options that Texas has to keep up with Xavier's ability to score the basketball, um, especially off the bench with Serge Jabari Rice. I mean, that's just ridiculous, having him off the bench, especially the game he had against Colgate. Um, and then at that point, I think Miami's run will ultimately end because – Texas just seems to be playing um, as good as anyone right now. I know that people like to hate on them for for what Texas typically does in the tournament lately, but um, I do think that they get past Miami and kind of end the curse and, and get to the Final Four.
0: All right, last region,
2: the West.
0: And we have what is set up to be in this Sweet 16 a rematch between that outstanding game two years ago in the Final Four between Gonzaga and UCLA. So we, we have a rematch of that. But before we get to that, just a couple of storylines. What I wanted to bring up was the Arkansas-Kansas game, 72-71, to the final score. It was very weird. So first off, uh, Kansas did not have Bill Self. He um, was – I guess sidelined with he he had um, health issues and he was not able to coach. But what was interesting is that Kansas shot a season-low 13 three-point attempts in that game against Arkansas. The Jayhawks had their way around the rim. They were 15 for 22. But whenever you have more mid-range attempts than three-point attempts, that's not really a good formula. And credit to Arkansas for running them off the three-point line, good for them. Credit to Devontae Davis. Great time for a season-high 25 points for him. And Arkansas going to the Sweet 16. They're going to play UConn.
2: Yeah, I think that if you're a Kansas fan, it's ridiculous if you try and blame this loss on not having Bill Self. But in that same breath, I think that not having Bill Self (laughs) is a big reason why Kansas wasn't able to win the game. And maybe that's just because it's Kansas. Um, not that I hate on Kansas or anything, but I just think it's one of those weird things where if you're a fan of the team, you shouldn't be blaming it on the coach, not being there. I mean, when you look at it, it should be the same stuff happening in the game. I mean, it's a coaching staff when it gets down to it, but Bill self is an elite coach. It does make a difference in the end. It's just don't, don't be blaming that. Um, if you're a Jayhawks fan um, and I'll touch on UConn quickly, too, because I got to get this out. I think that the Huskies got the easiest draw in the world, and it's the one thing I'm passionate about. Typically, I'm passionate about things revolving UConn. Correct me if I'm wrong here. They're the only power conference team where every possible matchup they had was a mid-major school, and I know that March Madness is full of upsets, but for a team and a fan base – that was upset about not being in the East region and being able to play at Madison Square Garden, well, you got a great draw here because you got to play a team from the MWAC and from the West Coast Conference, and you almost had to play an A-10 team. And that's no shot at VCU or St. Mary's, when it, whatever. But I just think that you got a pretty good draw going up against teams that don't quite play the same level of competition that you play on a daily basis. With that being said, UConn is still playing tremendous. I think that if they got a better you know, maybe a more competitive draw. I still think they probably be in the sweet 16. um, But I just think that they should feel fortunate for how it played out for them.
1: Yeah. Since we're going through the whole top part of the bracket here, I'll touch on both Arkansas and Yukon. If you look around this bracket uh, when it got released and you were trying to find who would have that North Carolina style run, that was an underachieving power conference team that might just turn on at the right time. It was going to be Arkansas just because of their talent level that they have and the coach with the, that Elite A experience. Coach Musselman is now in his third straight Sweet 16, which is really an incredible achievement because before then, they hadn't made a Sweet 16 since 1996 before he came here, which is really incredible considering Arkansas's history, uh, including a national championship. For, on Yukon side, they played tremendous in the second half against St. Mary's in particular. I was super impressed there. Now, part of it was the fact that Alex Dukas was out for St. Mary's. He had what looked like a back spasm in the first half, which was really unfortunate, but I think they would have won no matter what because Jordan Hawkins was in foul trouble in the first half, and that was really the reason the game was close there. I think UConn is fantastic. I'm going to save some of my takes for the final four picks, but um, those are my thoughts on that top part of the bracket.
0: What about the bottom?
2: Anybody
1: Sure. So sh- first of all, shout out to the TCU Arizona state game. I think that was really an underrated part of the first, first two days there that was ended on a Jacoby Coles, basically buzzer beater. We talked about the lack of buzzer beaters. That was a really good shot, a clutch shot to end that game. That was a super fun game overall, super late at night. TCU Gonzaga was also an entertaining one. Drew Timmy went off in that game, um, 28 points. I believe so. Really impressive there. Also, the cover of the lifetime for the the Gonzaga uh, or the TCU plus four and a half betters. I guess that would be with with Damian Bos uh, three point shooting. Really for the Horn Frogs, the the lack of shots from the outside killed them, as it sort of had all year, which was unfortunate. I think it was a really good team, just a tough draw against Gonzaga, UCLA doing their thing even without Jalen Clark. Um, I think that the Bruins are still one of the most talented teams in the, um, in the left in the bracket. So I'm excited to see, like Dan said, that matchup against Gonzaga
2: in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I know that everyone loves to see upsets, but um, I think that fans of March Madness and college basketball can feel pretty happy about the fact that Gonzaga and UCLA are going to play. I think that's... Of all the chalk that could happen in any of these brackets for the Sweet 16, I think that's the one that people are probably the most happy about because it's two West Coast teams. You get to see Gonzaga battle a UCLA team from the Pac-12, and we all know what happened the last time this game was played in the NCAA tournament. Kind of has the feeling this is going to be a great game as well based on just both these teams having some real senior players, some guys that have been there for a while that experienced that game the last time it happened. So it's kind of like a rematch. Um, and you don't get this all that often in college basketball because players are moving on to the NBA, transferring, anything you can think of, but you kind of get it with this. So that that'll be a great game.
0: All right. Well, last of our predictions, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Gonzaga over Yukon. So first off, Yukon, the Huskies, I think they have that size advantage over Arkansas that'll really help. And also just the fact that they're doing basically everything so well right now. Um Gonzaga over UCLA. This one could be somewhat controversial. I think a lot of people like UCLA. But first off, we've talked about this. No Jalen Clark. David Singleton banged up. That Those will leave their defense pretty compromised. I know Singleton's not a big scorer for UCLA in, in the scheme of things. Clark certainly is. And Gonzaga just has such a good offense. We saw the game against TCU. All they have to do is make, like, a few stops in a row and you're not going to beat them. And will they make those few stops in a row? Well, that's a question because they are not a good defensive team, but I think uh, I I can't shy away with them. I I picked Gonzaga in the preview. There's nothing that Gonzaga showed me for me to not stick with them. And I I just think their elite, elite offense will – take precedence over their shaky defense.
1: Similar to Dan, uh, my elite eight is also intact. I have UConn winning the national championship. This has been my pick basically from day one. I think they're, one of the most talented teams out there. I really like their makeup. They can beat you in multiple different ways, um, whether that's inside with Sunogo or if Jordan Hawkins gets hot, that's scary for me. And they can bring in the 7-2 monster and Donovan Klingon off the bench. Like they, they have just a ton of versatility. i like them to beat Arkansas and eventually get to the Final Four. And then I have UCLA over Gonzaga, actually, so I'm going to disagree with you here, Dan. I think that Gonzaga's perimeter defense is still something I worry about um, in particular. I think that if TCU, like I mentioned before, if they made shots, they probably win that game um, from from outside. Tiger Campbell is probably the best guard. Gonzaga will have played all year um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then Jaime Hawkins is just like he's a quintessential college player at this point. I I, I just think that UCLA has a little bit too much for Gonzaga to handle defensively and they they win a close one there and then i'll take uconn to get the final four
2: at points in the season especially when uconn was on that 14 and 0 start i very reluctantly said the huskies had what it took to win the national championship i've got them over arkansas based on the way that they're playing now which is as well as they were playing uh since that run and i pick gonzaga to win the whole thing so i think i've got to go with the bulldogs over the Bruins. and the reason I did that was UCLA being without Jalen Clark. They've obviously gotten to this point without him. But Northwestern played UCLA pretty tough. Uh, they made a late run as well. I think the Gonzaga has too much firepower, and they take this addition. And um, I've obviously got to continue with that Gonzaga pick over UConn. And I think that uh, the Drew-Timmy versus Adama Sinogo matchup is something to look forward to. So people better root for this matchup too. We all seem to be online with it. And uh, I think the country would be in for something special if that's a matchup to go to the Final Four.
0: All right. Well, that will do it for today's episode of the CBB Review Studio podcast. The next time we will record, we will have the four teams in the Final Four. We'll preview that and we'll recap everything that goes on this coming weekend. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. Be sure to like this video. Be sure to subscribe to our CBB Review um, channel if you are watching on YouTube. And once again, thanks for watching and listening. Take care.